Hey, let's welcome Dave Reaver as he comes to share. Bless you, sir. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Good morning. I am so happy to be here. I, I got to tell you something. Y'all wouldn't know because it's a long history, but Pastor and I have been friends forever. And it's so great to be back with you and your beautiful wife. And for those of us who've met, good morning. For those of us who have not met, good morning. But you're checking me out, I can tell. I'm checking you out. <laughs> you're wondering what happened to me, and I was wondering. <laughs> Isn't it fun to be in the house of God where Jesus is alive and He's not something, I don't want to say it wrong because I don't want to be offensive, but let's put it this way. I serve a risen Savior. And there's something joyful about being alive. I'd rather be vertical and horizontal any day, wouldn't you? Amen. So it's great to be here and to be back and to have our district superintendent here. I'm just overwhelmed. God bless you, sir. I, my wife and I have very fond memories of being with you folks in this great Northwest, I, I'm just asking for your patience this morning. I've been through a lot of surgeries lately, and I can't stand very long, so I have to sit a little bit. Is that okay? You don't mind? Because when, when I sit, y'all have to stand. <laughs> no, somebody's got to suffer. Come on. <laughs> hey, i got to tell you something. That first service this morning, those, are, those people are the most precious and engaged. Many times I go to first services, it's like preaching at the city mortuary. <laughs> really. But t this morning, the place was just alive, and it was so beautiful. And I feel that carrying right into this service. But I did, I did call you slackers. <laughs> I did. So I apologize. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Uh, at the end of the service, if you enjoy reading, I'll say this now, because at the end of the service, it may not be appropriate. But I have an autobiography. It's called Scarred. Seemed like a very good title. But the endorsements of that book, because it goes back considerably and picks up on, on some, well, obviously being a Vietnam veteran, a lot of history. But it is endorsed by Ronald Reagan, who became a dear friend at the end of his presidency. We became uh, friends through an unusual thing I won't get into. But he endorsed the book along with Billy Graham. And I thought, you know what? If they like it, maybe you would. So it's a great book, but it tells you and gives you a perspective of the war in Vietnam. You're positively, absolutely not going to get from anybody else's book. And a brand new book that we've just finished is called War and Recovery. And in this book are the stories of some of these magnificent warriors that I have had the opportunity to be engaged with downrange, as they call it, get to know them, hear their stories, and then when they were injured, bring them out of the hospital into our program I am a contractor with the Department of Defense, and they bring me their wounded that are still on active duty. And they say, you know, they lost their legs. Get them back on their feet. They're not talking about artificial limbs. They're talking about the emotional, the spiritual. And in the comprehensive soldier fitness program that I am engaged in professionally, I am of the five pillars, which includes marriage, financials, uh, psychological, emotional, and spiritual. They gave me the spiritual pillar. So I get to talk about Jesus legally in the United States military. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Only God could do that. So they send me all over the world, and I, I get to do that. I just finished a tour in Afghanistan. Just got back in time for surgery. 
What a great thing to come home to. But all that to say, thank you for letting me sit a little while. There's a scripture that comes to my mind that I, oh, I forgot to tell you, if you take those two books, I want to give you something. There's a, I'll, mine's underneath my cufflink there, I can't get it out, but there's a the card in, in a bracelet of 14 karat nylon. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's made from parachute cord and it's braided together and it's called, it's called a survivor bracelet. I, I, my fingers don't work well enough to get that out, but it's in there. This is not a gimmick. The card that's in there is a place for you to say thank you to a warrior. Just not long ago when I was in Kabul and in Afghanistan and Jalalabad and, and some of the other places, I gave the cards out that previously had been uh, written on. Thank you, even from little children. And I watched battle-hardened combat vets sit down in the corner of a building with tears running down their face for something written on a card. No name, address, zip code, nothing is required. So don't, don't think there's a gimmick behind it. I want you to say thank you to a warrior. But I beg you, please, put Jesus in that thank you somewhere. Because without him, thank you is just not enough. So if you take both books, I'll give you that. But be sure and fill that out and leave it here. I didn't mean to take that long with that. I apologize. In the scriptures, and if I read mine from here, because my grandson showed me last week that if you put your fingers on that screen and you do that, it makes letters great big. <laughs> I knew that. It comes from the, uh, I, I read from the old uh, King James Version, and I'd like to go to 2 Corinthians, if you don't mind. And there's a, there's a statement that is made that so stands out to me. It comes from chapter 7, verse uh, chapter 4 verse 7 of 2 Corinthians and I, I really wish you'd look it up if you don't mind it's something to keep if not at least find some way to remember this verse we have this treasure say treasure and I'm going to get you to repeat a few words I don't it's, it sounds silly but if you hear it say it and see it at the same time it's infinitely more likely you don't forget it but we have this treasure in earthen say earthen that's a very important word, vessels. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God. The excellency. That doesn't mean the everyday, run-of-the-mill power of God. This is the industrial strength power of God. It's excellent. It's above and beyond. We have That we have the excellency of the power of God that it may be of God and not of us. So there's obviously several kinds of power. And to get right into it, because I've taken a little time to greet folks and all, I, I want to move fast. I, I remember one day at Southwestern University where I attended, we did a field trip, and we packed 15 of us into a university van. And on our way on this trip, an 18-wheeler ran us off the road. And the, the vehicle turned sideways, probably doing, by that time, down from 70 to maybe 40 or 50, but there was no way to stop what happened. When it turned sideways, it started flipping down the road, and human bodies were going everywhere because typically not everybody's going to strap in in a van. You know that. The guy that got hurt the least was me, which is usually just the opposite. Everybody else walks away, and I'm smoldering. I, you know, I get a 50% discount on cremation. And, 
and I worry about going to heaven, and Jesus says, well done. <laughs> so y'all are quick. I like that. It's going to be a good morning. But I, the thing was on its side, and I walked out the windshield. So you understand, I walked out the windshield. It was vertical instead of horizontal. And I ran around because the engine was still sputtering and smoking, and, and I could smell gasoline, and I'm terrified of ever being burned again. I used to carry a gun to shoot myself. That's not a joke. When I got out of the hospital, I carried a gun. I said, if I ever get burned again, I'm never going to hurt like that again. But God worked me through all that pain and taught me lessons through suffering that a gun couldn't solve. And that's all very true. There's so much behind that that maybe someday we'll get together and talk. I couldn't get the back door of that van open. I'm trying to drag these kids out. This thing's going to blow any moment. I could smell the fumes. I could hear the engine sputtering, and I'm jerking on that door with it. And all that mighty adrenaline that's supposed to be there when you need it, I pulled, and I, I put my foot against the other door, and I'm pulled. I'm begging God, please, God, help me. I'm trying to get the door open, and it would not open. And then wisdom spoke to me. Push that button. I pushed the button and the door came right open and everybody was dragged out and nobody died that day. Absolutely stunning. I discovered there's two kinds of power. Adrenaline and anointing. Adrenaline's really cool. You can do big stuff. I've seen guys work out and pump up and they get those big arms and big old chest like cannonballs. I tell them, if you quit working out, that swelling goes back down. And then along comes Dave. You know, I can't hardly push a broom. I'm, so, I'm just not a strong man. I used to be. I used to think I was. And, uh, but the point here is wisdom trumps human strength any time. But it's not just wisdom in man's terms. The Bible says he that wins souls is wise. So you can be wise just by being a good witness and winning people to Jesus. You're a wise person. But to me, wisdom is the proper exercise of knowledge. You, you push that button. That's why that button was put there to start with. And I did. And, and the thing came up and we got everybody out. I remember running up to the nearest house saying, I need to use your phone. It's an emergency. We've had an accident. I'm okay with others. And the woman looked at me and she said, you're not okay. I said, yes, I am. She said, no, you're not. I said, yes, yeah, I am. She said, look at you. I said, this happened in Vietnam. She said, no, it didn't. And she didn't believe that I was okay. Now, what is the product of her thinking I'm not okay because I'm scarred. I have been broken. I have been poured out. And being broken is never our, well, I don't know why you'd want it. It's just not our choice. I don't like to be broken. I don't like bones to be broken. I don't like pain. Why would I like pain? And yet when I read this scripture, I come to that next verse, and this is where if anything makes sense, I hope this will communicate to you. Listen to the next verse. We are troubled on every side. Who wants to be troubled? We don't want to be troubled. I like to go through a day without trouble, don't you? Come on. Amen? Amen. Yet, we're not distressed. So, there's something about this excellency of the power that's of God, not of us. We are perplexed, and that word means Problems with no visible way out. There's no visible way to get through this. You don't know how it's, you, you can't see a solution. We are perplexed 
but we're not in despair. And the product of no visible way out, unless you have Christ, the product is always despair. And despair leads to suicide. Right now, suicide is one of the major topics and issues in the military. That's why I have a job with Department of Defense as a resiliency coach. I am a suicide prevention counselor, and I travel all over this world, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, UAE, Afghanistan, Iraq, and points I don't speak of, to work with our warriors to stop the hemorrhaging of a suicide every day on an average. For the first time this year, that average dropped a few percentile. For the first time, we have come down off of one a day. It's a little less now than one a day taking their life in the military. To me, that is a huge success, and I thank God for it. We can make a difference. But the fact is, when you're perplexed, when you are down and out, you need to hear the rest of that story. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. There's none of us in here want any of those first, but we want all of those seconds. We don't want trouble, but we want deliverance. We don't want problems, but we want solutions. But they go hand in hand. How can I say it? It's not the best source for advice and counsel, Zen Buddhism. Duh. But a man named Confucius said something that, whether he's a Buddhist or not, it's true. No vessel is truly empty until it's broken. You say, oh, yeah, you know, I, there's a vase at Grandma's house. Been sitting on that, on that mantle up there for decades. It's empty. I said, I, I say, go, go look at it. There's a dead fly in there. I said, go look. Well, I'll wash it out. Then you got soap residue. Well, then I'll rinse it. Then you have mercury. <laughs> that was bad. I thought it and it didn't go. You can wipe it out, then you've got the residue of the towel. No matter what you do, there is only one way. One. Count them. Four and a half. <laughs> There's one way that that vessel can absolutely, positively, without a question, be said to be empty. When it is broken and the walls that contain even atmosphere can no longer contain atmosphere because there's nothing left to hold it. It is utterly, totally destitute of the capacity to retain anything. And until you and I have come to that point with the Almighty to understand that there cannot be even the trace of the residue of our own will and still accomplish the will of God. Even Jesus said it. Not my will. Thine be done. So yeah, but he was Jesus. You know, he was never really broken. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how he felt when that cat of nine tails took another lick across his back. I wonder if that question would hold up that there's no, you know, he was the son of God. The Bible said he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Jesus suffered. He understood temptation. He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. So who wants to be broken? I don't. But there's several ways to be broken, and they all will leave a mark. They all leave marks. One way is on the outside. You get hurt, you get burned, it's physical. I'm burned, I'm, I, and, and it's very visible. And you would say, yeah, but it doesn't bother you. You get up in front of people and talk. 
But you put me in an airport among people I don't know and I seek out the right wall. Put me on in an airplane, I seek out the right seat because the right window doesn't look at me and say, what happened to your face? And it's always embarrassing when it's a child, they come running up, they look at me, they run away screaming, and it doesn't help when I go, ah, little snot. <laughs> Shouldn't do that, should I? Or a teenager says, what happened to your face, dude? I said, well, I was burned bobbing for french fries. <laughs> I said that to one kid, and he said, whoa. There's a whole plethora of definitions too. Whoa. He said, did you get one? I wanted to hit him then. <laughs> or men who are always polite. They never ask what happened to your face. They say something first. Like, looks like you got hurt there, fella. What happened to your face? And it always comes from a guy uglier than me, never was burned. I say, what happened to your mother? <laughs> never mind. So that's how I deal with it. I deal with things with humor because... Humor is the best medicine in Mary. Heart does good like a medicine. Reader's Digest and the Bible agree on that. So I laugh a lot. It's healing to me. So it's good medicine and I overdose most of the time. Because God gave us humor and he wants us to be happy. But what happens when you're broken? What happens when you look around and there's nothing left standing but you and you're totally exposed because there's nothing to hide behind? And everything you are, hope to have been or have been, is suddenly not what you think anyone can use or God could love. I look in a mirror every day and I put my spare parts on. And I say, God, how can you love it? My wife tells me, baby, you look handsome. People say, five minutes, Dave, and no one sees your scars. And I don't mean to make this about me, but nobody wants to hear me talk about somebody else's story. This is Dave Reaver. This is the man that's talking about personal experience. And I understand being broken. Break me physically doesn't hurt near as bad as to break me emotionally, but sometimes the physical really hurts. Sometimes. Sometimes that physical will spill over into your spiritual and you get depressed and you think God doesn't love you and it's not, but He does love you. So the two things about being hurt is you get scars on the outside like me or on the inside like some of you. I've never been abused as a child. Some of you have. And your pain is more than I've ever known. And if you're a divorcee, you're my hero. Not because you went through divorce, but because you're not in a bar or sleeping off the one last night because God did that to you. God didn't make you get divorced, didn't make you get married, but you didn't blame him. And because you didn't blame God, you're in the house of God today. To me, you're a hero because you didn't shake your fist in his face and say, why me, God? And I recommend you don't do that because he might answer you. I don't know, George. There's something about you I don't like. God does not do evil say it with me God does not do evil so I want you to know that God didn't shoot me that day in Vietnam on July the 26th 1969 God did not say hey there's Reaver I can get him with one shot nope war is a terrible thing we do to each other what God never thought of we teach the devil most of what he knows so I've never blamed God but I got to tell you this vessel, this earthen vessel that was sung about off that screen a while ago, I thought, Pastor and I just looked at each other, perfect words that we are jars of clay. A jar of clay is easily broken and very difficult to put back together. But when you've been broken and there's nothing left of you to hold inside, when it's put back together, it has a strange different complexion, a strangely different image 
it starts to look more like the potter than the clay was before. My wife told me after I was injured in the war and my face was blown off, my hair was blown off, my ear was blown off, my chest was blown off, I could see my heart beating, skin dripping off my arms, half my skin's gone. I got my vision back, I got my hair back. <laughs> I did, I bought it, it's mine. <laughs> it was blown off in Vietnam, it was blown off in Charleston the other day in a high wind. <laughs> it's really embarrassing chasing your hair across the parking lot. At the Citadel, a military installation, and a dog brought it back. <laughs> it gets worse. I should stop there. My ear's artificial. It fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica one night, and I didn't know it fell off. I sweated, and it was laying on my shoulder, and everybody's, <laughs> and I'm checking my fly. I don't know what's wrong. Something's not right. I look around. My ear's on my shoulder. I picked it up, stuck it on. I thought, okay, we got through that. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. And now I can't tell them it's a phony ear. They think I'm a phony preacher. They'd stone me. The pastor didn't want me to tell you I went to Jamaica and I got stoned. <laughs> just doesn't sound right on Sunday, does it? Now what I've just done, I have just taken three minutes out of my precious time with you and talked about being shot up, burned up, amputated, mutilated, and you laughed. Not at me. You laughed with me because you have figured something out. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? The difference in the anointing and adrenaline. When the adrenaline's gone, the anointing's just kicking in. And don't you ever forget it. He's the 10% above the 100. He's the extra in the ordinary. He's the super in the natural. He is the conquering king. And Dave Reaver has the excellency of the power that's not of men, but of God in a jar of clay, just like you do. Give it up for Jesus in his place this morning. That's the difference Jesus made. Pastor, this thing went off. I don't know what time it is. So what I'm trying to tell you is we're just jars of clay. We're pots. And we've been broken, so we're crackpots. That's what we are. We're crackpots. The world thinks we're nuts. See, y'all are crazy. You know, no sex, no drugs, no alcohol, no booze, you know, all this stuff. They used to do that to me when I was a kid in school. They did it to me when I was in the military, made fun of my virginity. Before I ever married, they'd laugh about it. And, you know, I didn't care. I was more interested in Brenda than I was what anybody else thought. And we waited. I'm saying that for kids. I want you know, you, you don't have to have sex before you're eight years old. It's okay to wait until you're married. And we did. And I have stood before over 7 million students. And we did quit counting almost a decade ago. And every one of those students heard me say, it's okay to wait and you're not weird because you wait. We're a pot of clay. And we have an extraordinary power within us to stand against humiliation, ridicule, persecution. You read all the things that God delivers us from. So whoever, wherever, whatever, I'm not afraid to put myself on the line and you to look at me and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because I came through it and it wasn't Dave Reaver. I'm just a normal guy. But I've got an abnormal God in me. 
And you have that same asset. And on July 26, 1969, right after the War of 1812, that sniper took his best shot and he hit me. I guess he's shooting at my head, but he missed. Hit my hand and the grenade blew right here. And I, it all, my life changed. A helicopter came in, it's called the dust off. Came in to pick me up. And when they rolled me on, the, I swam. I actually jumped off the boat into the water. But phosphorus burns. I burned in the water. It, you can't extinguish it until it burns itself out. So the helicopter picked me up, put me on a stretcher. It caught fire, fell through on my head. It was just one of those days, man. <laughs> Nothing went right. They rolled me out in wet blankets, got me on another stretcher in the helicopter, way we go, and the medics filling out my death report. And under the blanket, I said, medic. <laughs> and when I did, he almost jumped out of the helicopter. Pilot lost control. We're dropping like a rock. And I thought, good Lord, we're going to crash, and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> they got me to Saigon and then Japan. And when people have said to me over the years, Dave, that day in Vietnam in July was the worst day of your life. I kind of chuckled and said, no, it wasn't. May have been the best day, because that day, the pot was not cracked. It was smashed. It was totally smashed. There was nothing left that I could have hope for, because my brain said, you're going to die. But my heart said, you're going to live. You say, how, how can you say that, Dave? What do you mean? It's in a scripture that, that defines it perfectly. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Philippians 1.21. So it was almost like I had a choice. If I chose to die that day, I think I could have just let it go and just die. But I had a girl back home that I promised I'd come home to. She wasn't my high school sweetheart. She was my junior high school sweetheart. I was 16 when I asked her to marry me. She was 13 when she slapped me. She said, this is not Kentucky and I'm not your first cousin. I said, is that a No. She said, if you love me, you'll wait for me. And that's where that virginity thing came in. We waited. We got married. But then that draft thing came along. It wasn't, for me, it wasn't like a number. It was pre, pre-number thing. And I was told to go take my physical. And I was being drafted. I wrote back and told them, thank you for your inquiry about my health. I feel fine. Thank you very much. But they insisted I take that physical, which was the only exam I passed that semester. And when I told her I would be back without a scar... I lied to her. Even knowing then that we had the highest percentile of killed in action in the war, the group I served with. I was a Brownwater Black Beret in a Special Warfare Command of the U.S. Navy assigned to SEAL Team 1. I was not a SEAL. I was a Brownwater Black Beret. More proud than I can ever tell you of my service. I'm proud of every scar on my body for my country, and I'd do it again because I still believe in freedom. And I believe in the men I fought with. And whatever it takes to be free, I'm willing to do, and so are you. I know you are. Amen. I hate war, but I love freedom. So on the bank of that river, my heart says, you're going to live. My brain says, you're going to die. But the scripture says, the things that happen unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. That's chapter 1 and verse 12 of the same book of Philippians. So what's happening that day is this jar of clay is being redesigned. That was the worst day of your life. Not at all. Probably the best day because that day I learned to lean on Jesus. What was the most difficult day? Shortly thereafter. You notice I'm avoiding a word. I don't use the word bad. It was not a bad day. Christians don't have bad days. You say, what in the world are you talking about? You not? Let me explain to you. 
If you've got Christ in you, you may have a difficult day, but all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. So no matter what, no matter what it looks like right now, that thing's going to turn around and be your biggest advantage. And here I am. I'm laying in a hospital room. This side of my head is skull. This side swollen to my shoulder. I can look down and see stuff moving around in me. Almost half my skin is gone, half blind, half deaf, laying there, and I asked for a mirror. That was not smart. And they brought it, and that was not smart. And I looked up in the glass, and I saw what was left, and my brain said, ignore your heart. Take yourself out. She didn't sign up for this. This is not what that little girl thought she got when she married you. That's what went through my head. And I'm ashamed, and I want mama, if there's a child in the room, and I can't see the audience because it's dark, but i got to tell you, if you've got a child here, or if you are a chronic suicide dweller in thought, many of you need to hear me. You may not be chronic, but it enters your mind every now and then. I tell kids all over the world, and our military especially, everybody thinks of suicide sometimes. It's the second thought that will kill you. Don't dwell on it. Don't think on it. Don't let the devil win by you doing what he couldn't accomplish on his own. Does that make sense? Say amen. Don't play in the hands of the enemy. And I lost my hope. The only time in my entire life I've ever tried to take my life. But I had no gun or knife, so they walked away with the mirror. And they walked away with my hope. So I pulled out the tube. I'll just lay here and die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it's the wrong tube. I pulled lunch. <laughs> I couldn't even kill myself right. And then I started laughing. You don't want to be laughing and be hungry when you're trying to kill yourself. I don't know, just something about it. They chewed me out and sent me to America to Brook Army Medical Center, and I was there for one year and two months, 13 of us in that room. I'm the only one that lived. Everybody died. And when they put me in there, I knew we were, we were supposed to die. I knew that. They call, we called it death row. They didn't want us to die on the main ward because it discouraged the other patients. But they put us in there where we could discourage each other to death. And we did. I'm the only one that made it. It was called the ICU of the ICU, and I didn't know what an ICU was. Until many months later, I could stand up for the first time, and they put my arm through that little rope thing, they tie in back of you. That thing never comes together in the back. That's why they call it the ICU. <laughs> And uh, I looked over my shoulder at the mirror, and I saw me too. And I, I won't go where my mind just went. I'll leave that alone. But all I can tell you is God had a plan for my life, and there wasn't a devil in or out of hell big enough to pluck me out of the hand of God. And you got it made. You may be a cracked pot. You may be broken, poured out. You may suffer. You may have pain. You may look over your history, and you got a medical record this thick or a dump truck to deliver it. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a God and He loves you, and if you won't give up and you won't turn your back on hope, you will come out the other side shining like a new dollar, and God will get the glory, and people will go nuts over you. They will love your story. They will love your life, your image of Christ. Because it's Jesus that's going to shine through those cracks. That's where that light comes through. You understand? So I went to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. And when I left, I was holding suitcase in one hand, sweetheart in the other. 
And I did really well until 9-11, and that's when I got the phone call from Langley. And they said, we want to send you to all of our military installations across America. And I said, well, let me pray about it. Amen, okay. And I went, and then they said, we want to send you downrange. And that's when I started going to all these countries previously mentioned. And I just returned from Afghanistan to be operated on. And thankfully, I'm, I'm getting better. But they don't send me down there because I'm a great example of military strength and might. I'm sitting down because I'm weak. I'm not, I'm not let's say, uh, I'm not academically uh, advanced to the point they point to me and say, drink your milk and you can be smart like Dave. No, they point at me and they say, Billy, if you don't drink your milk, you're going to look like Dave. I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class, for heaven's sake. So I'm not the example that people would look for. But why did they call me? Why didn't they call anyone else? Because there's an excellency of the power that's not of Dave. So I don't get the credit. And if you won't take the credit and God get the glory, it'll blow you away what God can do. But so many people have to say, yeah, I did this or I did that. No, your adrenaline will fail you. But the anointing will never fail you. The gift of God is without repentance he will not take it back. He has given you all the things necessary to be successful in the walk of life. I hope I'm not hammering too hard. I'd like to close. Because there's something about the possession of the excellency of the power. When things are broken, when things are poured out, there's a word for that. It's really called sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Jesus was our sacrifice. And Freedom is not free, and I almost didn't say it because it's become such a cliche that it's embarrassing to even say it because it just rolls off the tongue, and we don't even think about what it means. But I'm asking you, pause. Selah. Selah. That's the word in the book of Psalms, and it means pause and think about it. Freedom is not free. I spoke for NSA not long ago out at, out at Langley area. Actually, it's in Washington, D.C. area. Fort Meade, the National Intelligence Agency for the Military. I spoke for Fort, uh, for uh, Dover Air Force Base and for the Dover, Delaware National Mortuary. Most of you didn't know it was there, but if you have a loved one or anyone killed on the field of battle, you're invited to go because their remains will go across the autopsy table at that national morgue. And a colonel came to me after I'd finished speaking, and he said, have you ever been through the mortuary? I said, no, and... Might I say how thankful I am? He smiled. He said, no, you know what I mean. He said, I'd love to give you a tour. I said, I, I would be deeply honored. I knew it was here, but I don't know anything about it. He took me to the uh, autopsy room, and it was there that I stopped at the threshold. I said, I, I'm not going any further than this. I said, Colonel, I'm an Old Testament student of study, and when I study the tabernacle and inside the inside of the tabernacle is a thing called Holy of Holies. I said, I kind of relate it to that autopsy room. I said, I'm not going in there. It's not fear. It's not hocus pocus. It's respect. Amen? I'm sure you got it. I'm not going there and gawk. Not, there weren't any remains. Uh, just the room to me was too holy. He said, I understand. I said, is this the worst duty you've ever been given? He said, it's difficult, but come. I'll take you there. And he took me to another room that would cover most of the 
of this auditorium, maybe three quarters of it, and it was a sea of uniforms. And I thought, well, this is a storage for the base exchange where they store uniforms. And then it dawned on me, where are you? You're not at a base exchange. You're in a mortuary. And then it just overwhelmed me. And you know where I'm going, don't you? I looked at the colonel. I said, no, sir, please tell me. Tell me these are not burial shrouds. He said, every uniform in this room will one day be worn on the remains of somebody who loved you more than you loved yourself, who loved us more than they loved themselves. I mean, I felt myself with a knot just a while ago, that same, you know, you feel that choke? That's the way I felt. I said, sir, is this it? Is this that place? He said, no, but come, I'll take you there. And he took me across to a place called the Fisher House. And at the Fisher House, they bring the families so they can be consoled and counseled. And that's the largest of all the Fisher Houses built by the Arnold Fisher Foundation, an industrialist out of World War II that wanted to show respect to the families of the fallen heroes. And it's a tradition carried on the most beautiful furniture appointment I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything like it. Pouring in millions of dollars to say to the families, we respect you. And we give you a soft landing here. It was amazing. I said, here, sir? Oh, he said, no, come here. Took me over to the chapel in the little ante room to the side. When I took one step in, I knew where I was. The toys were giant and they were stuffed. There were some Tonka trucks. There was a blackboard not eye level to the high of an adult, but a blackboard eye level to a child. And it wasn't just the blackboard. It's what was written on it. They just sucked the air out of my nostrils. And I stood there. I said, I can't keep this up. I'm going to collapse. This is more emotion than, I'm allowed, than I've allowed myself space for. And I looked, and what was written on that blackboard just kills me to this day. I've got a picture of it on my iPhone. From a little girl to the mommy, she would never see again. She wrote, my mommy. means the world to me. So a warrior died on the battlefield. Part of that little girl died too. Broken. Poured out. For something you believe in that's more valuable than your own life. Is there anything? Is there anything worth dying for? Do you believe in something more excellent than yourself? If not, there's nothing worth living for. I said, Colonel, here, huh? Is this it? He said, another stop, Dave. Come, I'll take you there. We went to the flight line. And it was there the giant C-5A or the C-130 comes in and lowers its ramp. And instead of unloading helicopter parts or foodstuffs, there's just a small container, not yet called a coffin. It's called a transfer case. And it's unloaded on the shoulders of comrades in arms in smart uniform, marching perfectly in step and delivering it to the back of a truck that's backed up without a chip in the paint, no spot or wrinkle on the flag. Separating that scene is a giant rope with golden hooks on either end suspended on golden stands. Sits a family who's about to be run over by a train 
the light at the end of the tunnel will break their heart. For the first time they will see in that container lie the remains of the most precious gift in their lives. I said, Colonel, what happens? He said, sometimes we have a runner. I said, Colonel, what's a runner? He said, Dave, sometimes mom can't take it anymore. She jumps the rope. And when the truck takes off down the street to that autopsy room, she takes off chasing that truck, screaming, I want my baby back. I want my baby. Just touch it one more time. Sometimes love lost is so desperate, common sense is gone. It's futile to think that there's a natural response because nothing hurts more than love lost. Abraham Lincoln wrote to Mrs. Bixby, it's come to my attention through the War Department that you have lost five of your sons who died gloriously on the field of battle for the cause of the Union. He said, my words cannot assuage you, nor do they intend to assuage you from the grief that's rightfully yours. But he said, the solemn pride that must be yours to know that you have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Freedom's not free. I said, Colonel, what do you do? He said, I jump the rope and I chase her till I catch her. I said, what do you say to her? He said, that, Dave, that is the most difficult assignment in my entire military career I have ever been given because there's nothing I can say to bring her baby back. I close with one question. Have you ever chased a truck? Well, I have. It's a truck called America. And in the back, lies of freedoms that I once knew where a child could pray in school. And I would be able to walk into a classroom and talk about my faith in Christ without having to be lawsuit over it. So I conclude by telling you on the most positive note possible. Until you've been broken, you have yet to live. Until you have died, you have yet to know life. Until everything you've ever believed in has been crushed in your very presence, you'll never know what it's like when the pot is reconstructed and it looks so much like Jesus. I have a closing three-minute video. May I share that with you at this time? Thank you.
Flight Bravo 02, you are number one for landing. Welcome home.